build the brand, stretch the team, make a bigger bet. If we lose, we will survive and we'll still be better for it because sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And that was my mindset. And then we uh, leaned in once he said yes. And we then had to wire the money. Everybody, I didn't know that this conversation was going to happen, but here we are. We're finally here. Sean Cannell runs with YouTube channel. He's written the book, YouTube Secrets, along with his friend, Benji, who we've chatted with, right? So if you want to know all things YouTube, and he also has his channel that we're chasing in full transparency, I'm chasing you. We're getting closer. And then you put some distance between us. And I like that. I tell my team, let's catch up to Think Media. You review all kinds of camera gear. You have tips. You have a lot of different creators. So there's a diversity of voices and talent. But I'm not here to talk to you about that. I'm not. I, through your generosity, was able to attend Grow With Video live, I don't know, a couple months ago in Las Vegas. And first, it was great. It was a well-run production, top to bottom. Yet superstars, Sean. Yet superstars like, oh, I don't know, like Gary Vaynerchuk, Patrick Bet David, the Hermoses. And, and Ryan Pineda, you had a lot of people on stage with, with you and it was awesome to see. And as a content creator, I want to know what drove you to go to this scale. Yes. Well, Chris, thank you first uh, and foremost for coming on the show. Love and respect your work so much and all the impact you're making in the world. Um, this could be a fun conversation because um, it's been such a journey to what was officially Grow With Video Live 5. And so it was our fifth event. It was our fifth year. We never missed a year ever since we started. And we went to, a, like you said, scale. We really scaled up way beyond our comfort level. The story we're about to get into, I guess, in this conversation is the greatest leadership development year of my life. The journey to Grow With Video Live was painful, challenging, exciting, stressful. And I think uh, just a little bit of backstory, the first year we did it at the Red Rock Hotel in Vegas, uh, our friend Shaleen Johnson spoke, and then it was mainly us, a couple other friends, it cost us $100,000. And I was terrified for the size of our business, betting that much money, you know, putting it out there. We lost 20 grand. Um, about 100 people were, you know, came maybe 125 uh, when I counted my mom and dad, you know, and, and the people serving water in the room at the hotel. And that was on the peak sessions. It was like 62 on, you know, other, other sessions. Then, <laughs> then we didn't know if we wanted to do it again because events almost kill you. You know, they're tiring, they're exhausting. They could be hard to pull off if it's different. But we did it the next year at another hotel. We got better at it. We were profitable the next year. We cut the budget and we're able to increase attendance to about 250 in person. And then we were going to step up, but it, it was the pandemic year. So we, we then did 2020, it moved all virtual. And then we did virtual two in a row. And those two virtual years um, went very well. And they were also very profitable because now cost was much lower. And it was as we were landing the plane on 2021, we wanted to sell tickets during that event to 2022. And we wanted to make 
it, I don't know, you might be able to articulate this better. I think in, in like success or goal setting, there's like something about making a decision. Sometimes people say, and then the universe orients around that. Like once you just kind of jump off the cliff, things starts to falling into place and leading to, we knew the event was coming up virtually in 2021. And, and then we knew we wanted to promote, we're back in person in 2022. And I thought to my mind, who would be essentially a celebrity guest speaker who would be somebody that would sort of push our event to another level and who would also be that's most relevant for the brand and vision of our event and a few people we joked around with because we thought okay media we thought uh maybe we could get nicholas cage he lives in las vegas and he might only be like 20 grand because if he has to just drive over from his house like someone said that who knows if that's true and obviously that kind of makes no sense. It might've been kind of funny. We're like, you know, would they be targetable in ads or whatever? And we're like, you know, what if like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like it's interesting. He's been in media, he's been in different things. And then of course, one of our things was Gary V and, and we kept like just trying to brainstorm around uh, even non main of non media creator, you know, but when we thought like who not only has kind of like a list, especially in the entrepreneur social media world credibility and is the most known it really is Gary Vee. Like even you step into somebody else like Patrick Bet David and, and I, he's actually like one of my heroes, but he's actually in a lot of ways, a lot less known, really known, but like almost no one knows PBD. A lot of people know Gary Vee, there's crossover. So that was kind of like that lead domino decision was, could we even get Gary Vee? And, you know, at first I talked to my friend, Pete Vargas and my friend, Brett Knudsen, and they both knew Zach ultimately who was his guy. And they were like, yo, uh, you know, we can get an introduction. We finally got an introduction, talked to Zach, found out his keynote fee at the time was 150 plus 5K for travel. And when we heard that, I about fell out of my chair. And then you start thinking you should negotiate speaker fees. You should, you know, you can try at least or whatever. But I just was like, I don't know. He's busy. I, I like, let's just go full fee. I mean, let's just. And so we just were like, okay, well, like, We'll, we'll commit half down, like, and, and I mean, that was, so that's, you know, 70 K 75, that was half of, that was more than the year previous, like the year previous, we were able to pull the whole event off for like 40 grand. So like, you know, his total fee was more than I made in my first year of business. Like, what are we talking about? You know, uh, when we really launched think media. And so we, we made that commitment and what's so funny was even someone was like, dude, you overpaid, man. Like I've heard people have got him for less. And I asked if he could do a book buy because there was the 12 rules book or whatever, 12 and a half. And, and his guy was like, man, he doesn't need to do that anymore. He's Gary Vee now, dude. V friends. Like he, he just, it is what it is. Like, do you want him or not? So we, so we got Gary Vee. Turns out his keynote fee went up immediately after our event too. So we ended up with like a 20, like a 30, 40, 50% discount because just supply and demand. He's more in demand, more busy. And so that started the journey um, to then what it turned into. So I'll let you, you know, ask more questions. But like, it was kind of the one thing we already knew about, like, we would, of course, be there and, and some of the other things we were going to do. But we locked in um, Gary coming to the M Hotel, which ended up kind of becoming a problem. Like that hotel, there's all kinds of stories. I mean, just capacity, rooms, restaurants. But it was just actually stepping out and making one decision that led to the domino effect of then needing to back up that bold decision with a lot of other moves. Because to frame that, the eventual cost was about $915,000 to run that event. 
So, so get, so Gary V was the tip of the iceberg. Like, I mean, it just really started to add up from there. And, and we were profitable in ticket sales, which my friends in the uh, industry, let me know that that's incredibly rare, uh, if almost never happens. And that also at that level to do a million dollars in ticket sales and to do and to actually be profitable in ticket sales without any kind of other offer apparently is a is a is a pretty radical uh, feat and so um yeah talk about intense though because these were dollar numbers i'm a small town kid college dropout i thought of back in the day if i made six figures in a year you could put a fork in me like you know as i've been growing in entrepreneurship so we're doing well as a business and we have been for a couple of years, but this event was terrifying. We just started making bold move after bold move. And just once that level of commitment is like, man, contract is signed, it's all in and we got to push this thing to the max. There's a lot to unpack there, but I, I want to highlight the frame of mind that you were in when you made some of these decisions. Now, everybody can relate to the story. We sit around and we we say, well, what if we got all our, our dreams come true and and we're granted our wish, what would we ask for? And you're like, well, you started going up around names and then you said Gary Vaynerchuk. And this is where most people stop. They stop the dream and like, oh, that was cool. That was a nice fantasy role play exercise, whatever is cool. But when you put into action, actually getting in touch with these people, finding out the fees, and then that commitment check of $75,000 just to get things going. Tell me what was going on in your mind good and bad or otherwise, am I going to really do this? Take take me back there. What was going on in that moment before you knew everything was going to work out? So um, a couple things. One was as scary as this is, it's only going to go up from here because I actually have been following Gary uh, around, meaning I've had friends a couple years earlier, my friend Keith had him come and that was Ask Gary V book. So he was able to do a book by uh, Daryl Eves has had him at Vid Summit. And like there was, I think the mindset was you can always look backwards and be like, oh, I missed it. You know, because quote unquote, Gary or whoever, it was more affordable yesterday buying a house. Oh, I missed it. It was more affordable yesterday. And uh, current economy, it actually might be more affordable in three months. But like, ultimately, we can always go, it was more affordable yesterday. But the other way to frame it is someone like that, their trajectory, he might be even more unreachable or probably will be more unreachable in a year. It'll actually be more expensive. So as scary as it was, it was still, and then turns out, so I would never could have known that we were actually, literally had I waited a month, his fee would have been different because of supply and demand. So, so what seemed shocking and scary, and of course we had to back that up with revenue, what ended up actually being a good deal. Uh, and, and so the first thing was just, uh, not letting fear or hesitation once I had, you know, kind of wanted to make the decision. The second big reason to answer your original question was also grow with video lives and tent purses. This was a brand play. So I've been around long enough. I've done enough of the events to say, what's the purpose of the event? So you could say, is the purpose of the event to have financial arbitrage, to make as much money as possible? Not a bad reason. Like, okay, how can we keep costs low? Maybe not even try to blow up attendance not even do paid ads, let's say. Let's do email marketing because our community that loves us could come out. Therefore, expenses are low and we could have, uh, you know, profitability could be incredible. Is the purpose profitability? Is the purpose, uh, you know, brand building? And that was the ultimate goal of this. I was also going into it knowing if we lost, uh, another question would be, 
how fatal, what happens if we lose? What's the worst case scenario? So of course we'd recover some income to pay off the fee and other whatever. And I just started thinking, would even $150 just lost kill our business, 50,000? It wouldn't. So thank God we're in a place where it would sting, but it wouldn't be fatal. So years ago, 100K scared me, but that wouldn't have been fatal then either. We could have recovered. So we're making intentional risks, but uh, we're make, taking risks for sure, but not betting the entire farm. Like this better work or else we're going to have to lay off the Think Media team and this whole thing's over. So it was a very scary move, but it was reasonable within adding up and doing the math. And so I was committed that if we if we ended up 50K negative, 100K negative, but the brand building and the exposure that came from it, would that be worth it? Yes. I think the other piece was it was not even the event itself that was valuable. What I learned once we made this lead domino decision, that even in just the promotion of the event, all of a sudden people started paying attention to Thick Media and Sean Cannell a different way. Like, what? You're having Gary Vee? Like, what the heck's happening? Like, even to the point where a lot of people were more pumped about Alex but yet they still kind of saw Gary first. It was like, wait, they're both there? Wait a minute, PBD, Alex, and Gary are all at the same event? So it was this idea of there was the pre-event branding. The actual event was turned out great and people loved it. But now we have all the content on the back end. And so I started to realize, okay, like there's, uh, that was the original intent and it completely paid. So now in hindsight, and of course, easy to say in hindsight, since we were not only profitable in ticket sales, not only did the whole thing work out, which is all astounding, but then I also, in hindsight, look at it more, I'd say, of course, I would do it again, but I would encourage somebody else to count the cost, but I would do it again to say the value, the brand value is worth more. It wasn't, because we made more, we made an offer, but it wasn't even just the ticket sales. At this point, I'm like, it was the ROI was already there, but now we have definitely the rest of the year, but probably the next two years of this content being going out of vertical. So it is one of my best investments I've ever made in my entire career. And that was what I set out wanting to do. Much more terrified, not seeing as clear as I see now at all. But that was, it, it went according to plan. It was like, Gary is an awareness brand play. And here's, and I had friends telling me this too, and I knew this intrinsically, that the other key about Gary was leverage to invite other speakers. As soon as he's confirmed, like for, for example, Vanessa Lau, now she had spoken at our event virtually the year before, but literally this what I said, hey, would you be interested in speaking? She looks and sees Gary's there. And she told me later, she goes, as soon as I saw it, I stopped thinking. I just said yes. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm available those dates, but I'm going to figure this out. And so it was also, it's, a, it's that whole lead domino idea really was my, my thinking. And, you know, uh, there's a recent book called uh, like Becoming Your Future Self. Uh, Be Your Future Self Now by Benjamin Hardy. Great book. I love Benjamin Hardy, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Um, and, uh, and he says that as you, if you want to keep being pulled into the future, you're called to as an entrepreneur, as an artist, as a designer, um, building a company, you got to keep making bigger and bigger bets. I remember early on in my career, right? There was bets I made that were terrifying. Then the bet could have been when I bought Kajabi to host our originally to host our online course. And I paid for the founders deal, which was $997. And you locked in for, for life. So they had all the bonuses and perks and they were just starting. I just talked to the CEO of Kajabi. I just spoke for them at VidCon. 
And I told him I'm a founder. I go, I got the best deal in, in the world, you know, five years because now it's monthly and I have unlimited sites, unlimited courses, unlimited emails, unlimited everything because I was a founder. But that 990, I didn't even have that stuff yet. I was starting and I saw that it was a good deal. I knew that if I put down that $997 on the software, the SaaS to build that education side of our business, it would also be a domino. And humbly said, like now I look back and there's zero financial uh, friction on a thousand dollar decisions for me now. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, if it's gonna make sense for the business, like the team can make all kinds of decisions of more, more money than that. But it was, it was a risk. It was a bet. It was terrifying, you know, 2015 when I'm starting Think Media for what this era of, of it. So you got to keep making bigger and bigger bets. And that was definitely one of them. So the mindset was, it was even pushing myself into personal growth. I also knew it would push our team into greater leadership development. I trusted that it would not kill them. It almost did. I mean, in the sense of like, you want to talk about exhaustion, push to our limits of like our skills. It was an inc- just playing the game at that level of doing the event was very stretching, but I also had confidence and it proved to be true. We were built for battle and we need greater challenges. We need bigger, you know, mountains to climb, giants to slay within reason, not giants that we're not ready for, but I felt like, you know, prayerfully that we all the intersection of all those things, build the brand, stretch the team, you know, make a bigger bet. If, if we lose, we will survive and we'll still be better for it because sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And that was my mindset. And then we uh, leaned in once he said yes. And we then had to wire the money. So we knew we were, (laughs) we started the journey. Okay. So you sound like a thoroughbred entrepreneur. You sound like you're built for this kind of stuff. I'm curious, was there a coach, a mentor who helped to change your mindset about making small bets to making big bets and you need to do this brand marketing play? Was there somebody in your corner kind of pushing you to do this or help you to unlock a certain part of your mind or did you do this on your own? Definitely did not do it on my own. Um, I, I think that no man is an island and we need other people your circle matters, you know, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Um, and my commitment to lifelong learning has been helpful. It's always been that. So it's been books, podcasts. Um, but over the last few years, I have found that proximity to people at a higher level than you that challenge your thinking is incredibly helpful. And I'll give you one exact example that helped me with this. And then just a few, a a cluster of others. One, I'm a part, uh, the cluster of others is I'm a part of a, a, a men's zoom prayer group with, uh, uh, Christian guys that are in kind of like speaking or personal development, leadership, coaching authors, and just a few of us. And, and some of the guys on there, you know, we, we meet every single Monday and this is what I've learned. There's some things that are more caught than they are taught. So you read it in a book and you can learn it, head knowledge, but when it's caught because of proximity from, from someone that you've built trust with and there's relationship there and, and you kind of are getting to know them and it just challenges you to do big things as well. It reminds me of a biblical example of David's mighty men. There was this guy, Beniah, who went down, it says he went down in a pit on a snowy day to fight a lion which is a kind of just a very obscure story because you're like, what the heck for? But just kind of, it's a guy who's just 
got some, he's just got to do some exploits, man. He's got to do something. He's like, he's bored. He's got to go fight a lion on a snowy day. And you hear that, you're like, well, maybe I can take on a lion. You know, you see David take down Goliath, courage transfers to everybody else. So, so being around guys placing bigger bets, doing bigger events, talking about budgets, and then also hearing their mindset, hearing that they're also, sometimes we put people on pedestals. They're terrified. Guys, can you pray for me? You know, I just put the down payment on the hotel because we're doing this big event and, and they came back to me and they needed another 30K for the VIP room. And so things are really thin. So that was, that's been a big one for me. Um, I'm in another peer-led mastermind, which same thing, whether it's just people making bigger bets. And these in the last few years of my life have been the absolute critical communities. But one particular relationship is, uh, and she spoke at our event, Shalene Johnson, her husband, Brett Johnson, has been a powerful mentor in my life. And they've really helped me to think bigger. And, and here's the phrase, Brett actually has this tattooed on his arm and it's scared money, don't make money. He literally has that written on his forearm. And I've heard him say that, but it wasn't even just the phrase, it was watching them as well. So I got to speak for Shalene. I'm one of her students of Marketing Impact Academy from way back in maybe 2016. And so she she also trusted me and believed in me. It was, it was the first time I, I had spoken at an event that size. I was terrified. And, and it's just having someone to give you a shot also, you know, I got off. I was like, how'd I do it? Like, she's like, you know, all right. <laughs> you know, like it'd be some good. Like, I mean, I knew you would be good enough for me to invite you, but like, and, and I think she texted me as one of her students. She said, Hey, would you be willing to speak at my event? If you would allow me to kind of coach and mentor you through it. And I'm like, willing talk about the greatest gift in the world, like any mentorship or coaching. Are you kidding? You know? And so from being exposed to the events they were doing the size of the stage, the moves they were making, you know, scared money don't make money. And so that, that's, that phrase has never left the vernacular of think media. It's kind of one of our mantras to where, uh, you gotta, you, you're really not going to have those big forward movements in your business if you don't take those risks. And I think this journey is perfectly modeled that because a hundred thousand dollars was terrifying year one. And then by year five, that wasn't even the entirety of one individual's keynote fee. So it's like, we just continue to make bigger bets. And I would think and hope that it gets easier. And what I'm learning is it does not the numbers, obviously, yes, they get bigger. But like, as we did this one, I was like, man, it was good. I sometimes I think you have to be self aware of your mental health, your team's health, the season of life you're in. Uh, not every season is the season to go down in a snowy pit and pick a fight with a lion. But I think that there's seasons where you maybe need to self-identify. Are you, have you been complacent for a while? Do you need to shake things up a little bit? And simply the virtue of putting yourself in pressure situations, I think is important in certain seasons to force uh, personal growth. That is a mindset that I understand that, uh, it's, it's not me getting up and getting self-motivated that will help me grow the most. It's me committing to something and putting that original money wire on the line that helped. It was the greatest leadership development year of my life. It started from a decision. It started from a couple questions, a few, uh, some inquiry, and then it started from making a decision. And so scared money don't make money. That's the mantra. Wonderful. So I, I got this other question. I mean, it is a lot of work to put together an event, especially one 
of the size of investment that you're making. You're committing yourself to making a million dollar investment with questionable profitability, break even, lose money. You're accepting of the consequences if it goes south. It's a brand marketing play. What toll does it take on your mental and physical health leading into this? Did you lose weight? Is the team stressed out of their mind or is it just smooth sailing? Uh, stress out of our mind. It would be, would be uh, the toll. Um, I mean, the first thing that also happened was, again, I think you have to soberly evaluate the health of all parties involved, what they can take. And I think there's something to say about, do we have enough for today? So like, did we have enough money in the bank to make the first decision? We do. Do we have enough skill sets to get the ball down the field for the first couple of months leading up to this? We, we did. But one of the big things that happened was an absolute legend on our team, Melissa Caputo. She's our marketing director. Um, she was basically our key point event planner at first. We knew that it was a weight that was beyond her eventually, but it, to, it started with being entirely on her shoulders. And she's just an absolute, you know, checking in with her. She's ride or die, think media. Um, but at first it was, it was super heavy and we just would adapt as we, we went, meaning eventually uh, mid-course, we then hired an external event planning company, Jesse Schwartzberg, who had worked with Tony Robbins and then other events kind of of that style over the last 20 years. Now she has her own company and her and her team uh, kind of got involved. And these are the kind of things that also started to become really scary because now we're spending multiple tens of thousands of dollars uh, adding that on. But what I started to realize was uh, this kind of weaving through a lot of things but so yes, there's my health, but here's my greater concern would be like Melissa's health. Like if we keep going on this, she would have a breakdown. And also we, we probably would, we would not get to the end result we want to. And so it'd be a lose, lose, lose. So then it would be like, shoot, we're already have a lot of money on the line, but we got to bet it even more money for multiple reasons. The end experience, the quality of the event, but also the team's health. Then of course there's the AV side of things. You know, I will say actually, this is a huge ingredient us pulling off this scope and deciding to do hybrid, deciding to do virtual and in, and in person was a whole nother challenge, was me going to my friend Pedro Adeo's event and seeing that he had two companies, Crescent as audio, video, and lighting, and then Sage as handling the virtual side in Zoom rooms with like 20 MacBook Pros stitched together through their proprietary software. And Everything is more complex than you think, but having spoken at his event and seeing both sides, I go, there's the key. I go, we can do virtual. Let's see if we can hire these two companies. What ended up happening though, was that Sage did not end up working out because of their schedule. And we did not know that until way too late in the game. So those are the kind of problems that started coming our way. So in answer to your question, macro, my health did not suffer. And I think it's from the prioritization of, of I continued to, I kind of, I have separate health challenges of some like repetitive stress injury from typing, kind of a carpal tunnel. I just went through uh, 21 injections, uh, but that was sort of preceding this. Um, I, I maintained spending time with family, you know, running is one of my favorite things to do to protect my mental health and, and have ideas and, and eat uh, healthy, uh, et cetera. And I think part of it was also, there was a level of, of letting go of things I could not control. I think I could have just 
you know, I heard worrying, right, is like chewing bubble gum, thinking it'll solve, you know, like it'll change the situation or just like in a rocking chair going back and forth. And there's no doubt about it. These things were weighing on my mind and the pressure of the finances. But I just had to, I had to keep letting things go. I thought most about my team's health, protected my own health. And then I had to not be gun shy. It was that first decision forced me to make a hundred more bold decisions and to not be slow about them. That's one of the biggest things I learned leadership wise. I was like, okay, we're already in this. It's kind of like the analogy of skiing, where if if you've ever skied before, there's something about you have to fully lean into the mountain to where it's scary, where you're looking down. And if you only lean in halfway, you're still going to fall backwards. And so it was sort of like, okay, we tipped over the edge of the slope. We're going now, but I can't actually hit the brakes now. I actually need to hit the gas. And from the other side of the coin, that also could be delusional. That could be like, it's all sunk cost, but you're so bought in. I'm gonna keep going into Bitcoin. It's just tanking. I mean, and who knows, maybe it all, you know, but it's like, it could go either way, I suppose. Cause I could have been like, let's go all the way up to a million and we just get crushed. But, but I start, I was making strategic decisions a lot along the way. We need to add the event people as well. Waiting, waiting, waiting. We can't do Sage. Who, how are we going to do the virtual thing? What software do we need to buy? Okay, who else do we need to hire? You know, and so we started to rally around the necessary uh, people. And that goes back to that whole thing where of, of you make that, that one decision leads to a million other decisions you have to make, but sing, things start to happen in your favor. Problems you start to articulate to friends and they go, oh, I know somebody that can help. And every second of the year leading up to Growth Video Live mattered. And the other thing I should add to the equation that made it the most stressful on our corporate health of our team was also that like we basically kept our business running the same way it runs anyways. So the pro I learned a lot that the idea and the audacity to go try to do an event of this scale and you're not an event company, you are, you know, this is not something you normally do is extremely taxing. And um, it, we didn't really hire new staff for that or anything. In hindsight, now I realize that, okay, if we work with Jesse and her team from the beginning, and, and of course we learned so many things. That's what's really nice is actually it truly level, leveled us up where we, we made a decision, uh, you know, as, as much positive feedback as we got, even before the event happened, we made a decision that we're not doing it next year and we're actually not going to do it 2023 or four um, as a team director team before it happened. And once it did happen, Half the team started saying, oh, just kidding. We like, look at how good the feedback was literally off the charts, but the self-awareness of what we are not an event company. And yes, even though it would be smoother now, the other part was, I was like, I don't really know where we go from here because we could have Gary back, but he's more expensive now. And that wouldn't be as cool. What is the combination of speakers? What do we have Joe Rogan next? You know, like, and, and are we just trying to one up ourselves? Like it accomplished the purpose for which we set out. We will keep doing events. That'll probably, uh, that'll be like, send an email to our list and be smaller and more focused on like, you know, less going the celebrity speaker route, more like friends. Uh, but I, I threw a lot at you there. But uh, that was, as far as the health goes, it, it for sure put some tax on our team. And to throw a couple things that I thought about, I think casting the vision, a highly recommended book is called At Your Best by Carrie Newoff. I actually had him... Um, on our podcast, really great dude. And it's about staying, working your green zone, your red zone, your yellow zone. And one thing though, about if you're in a season that's an unsustainable pace, the key is a finish line. 
So I think one of the things we said for our team was we're like, there is a finish line. This is too much. Like it's too heavy. We couldn't carry this for life, but we can carry this leading up to this event. We're going to be thoughtful. If you need something, we'll purchase it. If you need a break, like we're, we're, we'll figure this out. If you need help, we'll staff around that temporarily contractor. And there is a finish line though. And another decision we made, which was not simply based on this, but for our team in general, we just got back a month ago. We took our entire team, kids, wife, spouses, everything to Disneyland. Um, and that was also on the calendar. So we, we were being thoughtful. We like, we know there's the side of this that is um, very heavy, that could really, what good is it if we get to the event and we're bitter mean, mad, like we got to pace ourselves. We got to focus on this, but how do we also invest in our team, show our team that we value them when we're absolutely pushing them to the uh, limits, guard our own health. Um, and, and I don't, and then the final thing I'd say though, is again, like, I don't look, I don't look back with any regrets, but my friend Pedro says it this way. Yeah. Events cause a lot of brain damage. And he's like, you got to count the cost of the brain damage. And it's like, it's a good way of putting it. Like it's just the mental pressure, stress. I, there's only so much running in like ashwagandha, you know, vitamin C shots you can take to try to, you know, knock down that stress. Like it's just real. It's just heavy. And I think uh, you have to make a decision if it's, if it's, if it's sustainable, if it's something you want to keep doing, but I am really glad we did it in this case because it, it did, we did survive. That's for sure. We made it through the other side. <laughs> you made it. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back. Welcome back to our conversation. Was the fifth iteration of Grow With Video a big win in your book? Oh, huge win. Like, I mean, okay. yeah, once it was all said and done, um, yeah. it was an absolute win. And I think by every metric, I think Monopolize would say that, event sales agency would say that, Crescent Audio would say that, Jesse would say that. In fact, Jesse, who's been in event industry, the event planner, she was also hearing, she said this about our attendees. She said, in 20 years in the industry, I have never met a better group of people which speaks to maybe who we attract or who the speakers attract. So she said, this is one of the best events I've been a part of and the vibe and the energy. She was like, people were kind and respectful. So like things like that were a win. You know, you always get a few complaints, but they were very minimal. I mean, extremely minimal. Most people's report was, this is the best event I've ever attended. The content turned out great. So we got the content out of the other side. You know, we, I mean, personally, even, I was doing so much logistics and fighting other battles in our business and life back in Growth Video Live One. When I, so I was doing my slides and my sessions the night before the event started, even just the runway by having enough team members. So I had more, I still had plenty of pressure, but I, I went into it as rested as I could ask to be. And so net net, it really turned out smooth. Team loved it. Again, challenging, pushed some of us to the physical limits because events are like, morning tonight, you know what I mean? Like you're just like six to 12, like every day you just get like there for, depending on who you are on the team. So, so, uh, all that to say is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's historic. I want to, um, we have all of our marketing for it, especially the speaker's face, but I want to turn it into a movie poster. It is like a defining moment in my life career and for our team and for all the scars, I, 
think I speak for our entire team and I spoke for the other teams coming out of the other side. We look back with gratitude, humility, appreciation, saying it's a win, you know, and then financially saying, and we made it, you know, we were, we were positive. Uh, and then some, because, you know, we were positive on ticket sales and we then made our own offer. And I mean, it's all relative, but me, I've heard others that do crazy with it. We'd never really done an offer like that. So, and that, that went well, we learned from that. And, and so, but financially it was a win and brand building wise, it was a win and relationship building was a win. And I think from the other speakers, the speakers feedback, we, we, there's, there's, we, there could be a part, part two of this pot. It could be the 10 part series. <laughs> I've been in, I've been, it's helped me being in the, in the church world, but I, I really value something I don't see much anywhere else called, uh, which would be honor. And I've spoken at maybe a hundred to 200 events now. I've never experienced like what we did for our speakers, whether that was, you know, how they got to the hotel, having someone to host them, giving them gifts. I shot videos for every single one of them and had video cards in all of their rooms, the way we treated them as speaker lounge and all these different things. And for us, that's based on the principle of honor, which is of course, one, a reflection of the culture we want to create at our company, but also two, the idea of we want to make an investment. That was part of it too. Like if we can use all these dollars to invest in people and in brand and in content, that's what we're investing in. We're not actually investing in the financial arbitrage of this one event. So I'd like to spend more, like everybody that was a speaker, we said on the video, I said, and hey, if you wanted to take advantage of the M spa or whatever. Now, again, I don't know if other speakers are listening to this and you've been to some events. I've been to some amazing events and I've been treated decently well, but I've also been on the other side of the spectrum. I've been shocked by how poorly speakers can be treated. So we absolutely were intentional about every detail of this event. From me being in uh, all these different experiences I had, we added them all together and we truly set out to make the, try to do the greatest event from an attendee standpoint, picking volunteers, having the volunteers take care of the attendees, trying to appreciate the, you know, all the, across the board. And, and the result was I actually uh, feel proud and that we got pretty dang near to, to uh, as good of executing our intent as possible. So it would have been all right for you. It still would be considered a win if you produced this event and lost some money. Most people don't go into the event business because they, they plan to make a ton of money. Most, they, they know it's a loss leader for other things for you. It's a brand play. You, you also mentioned that there was an offer. Do you mind sharing with us? Like you did a million dollars in ticket sales. What did you do in your offer sales? So our offer was 5K mm -hmm. and we did 80 units and we did not even all at the event, but mm -hmm. that, this is part six of, of the 10 part, <laughs> uh, you know, mini course we should create. Like, uh, it also forced us, this was part of the growing pains. It forced us to like rethink our whole business and customer journey because one, we didn't want to do an offer because if it wasn't right and we, if we didn't have one, we didn't, we don't have anything that's higher ticket than like a thousand in our business. Um, we also though, and part of that, not knowing we would have been profitable on ticket sales was also part of a not putting our company in a vulnerable spot by using that offer to fill in the gaps like that, that like worst case scenario, maybe we break even with that or worst case scenarios, maybe we are hundred K negative with that. And so, but we also weren't just going to force something for the sake of that. We were measuring our own energy, our team's bandwidth. 
measuring brands? Do we start a new brand? Do we offer you know, like, there were so many different things. And, um, through lots of plan succeed through like a multitude of white wise counsel through a lot of processing, we actually found the iteration of, I believe I all, and I did not want to do something reactionary though, just to solve one problem in the event. So there's a lot of pressure when trying to plan an event to also like architect where I think our company should go. Uh, but we found a synergy of that. So when we launched what was called the Growth Video Live Bootcamp, it's now something we'll just do quarterly, which was our first time of doing coaching and accountability, like time with Heather, time with me, six weeks, cohort kind of environment. And we really eventually dialed that in. So it, it even had to do with reworking things. We're sunsetting our other membership program. It became a domino that affected all these other dominoes that in the power of focus and essentialism was arguably not even the right time to try to even think about that stuff, but it was all converging. And so we ended up, you know, coming to together with that. So what is a hundred units on that's half a mil. And so that ended up being, you know, 400 and not all collected at once, but there, mm -hmm. therefore, you know, we ended up at like one and a quarter with about 350 K profitability which is actually incredible. I have a friend that runs one of the biggest running events in San Diego, year over year, multi-million dollar budget. And they're running on events, profit margins of uh, 15, 20%. And so I'm not good at math. You might be, but we were, we're that's, that's, you know, a good 30. You outperformed that. Yeah. Yeah. It's 30, yeah, 35% profitability. And we checked all those other boxes and pulled out what we hoped to be no stops whether that was, you know, cause you were a part of the platinum experience in the business days. So whether that was, you know, the event and the food there, you want to talk about, I mean, there was times when our VIP room filled and we had to move VIP, which you were in those lunches to the pavilion, which was another 40 K. Like it was, we were just in a place where like, I was just like numb to it. They'd be like, listen, if you mm. we're, we're packed here, but if we move it to this next, it's gonna be like another 40 K and then food and Bev. And so like, <laughs> you're just playing at that game. You're throwing away, you're throwing around 5k and 10k. Like it's a joke. Like it's just, I mean, whatever I just got to sign off on it. And, and, and trust me though, I wasn't, I was numb to it, but like, I was still calculating it and it was like, yeah, no, we gotta, we gotta keep making bold moves. And the momentum we have, like, so when we moved to the pavilion, there was only like one week, but the event sales agency was in place and they had, and then I talked to, to Brian and I was like, He's like, yeah, we have a lot of leads to still follow up with. And I'm like, well, if we're full on VIP now, how many more VIP or platinum tickets would we need to sell to pay off doing the pavilion? And if it's like, well, if we do, you know, two platinums and da, da, da. And so I was like, okay, calculated risks at each step of the way. Um, and so anyways, yeah, so it's great. So it turned out, turned out really good. And that's a whole nother win. The pressure, my friend, going all the way back to the lead domino that was my intent. I was like, th this pressure applied to, if it's not going to kill us, and it didn't, will make us better. It made our company better. It streamlined our product line. It just put us into a pressure situation that forced a lot of things. Of course, it could have gone the whole other direction, but that's a whole other aspect of the win. I believe our product suite and our customer journey is more dialed and more clear now because of needing to get it right uh, because of the pressure of this event. Here's something I remember that was really funny. There's two moments, quick answer, two moments. One was when Gary was doing his own thing, how when he would finish talking, you would just soldier on like, 
let's just go right back. He's dropping F-bombs. He's saying crazy things. And then you just kept going on like the Terminator, just having a conversation. I remember it got a good laugh from the audience just because you're so determined to get through it. The other part was you you went to do a talk and you talked about something about fishing and there was a metaphor and then you were kind of stumbling through it. Was that a planned fumble or was that just you, you know, what? I lost my place in it. I'm just going to own it and just move on because they, they both got like really good reactions. It's funny you remember that, that fishing moment. No, that was an absolute blunder because <laughs> I, that was my l- most underdeveloped talk. Like in terms of showing, showing up prepared, yeah. I had, I also felt the stakes were higher. Lots of, you know, people that didn't know us, if you will, cold traffic or whatever that came to the event from other people. So I wanted my talks to be good. I felt like my first one went really well. I've, I, you know, in hindsight, I felt like the second one was all right as well. But like I, as I was preparing, um, part of it was I had notes in the PowerPoint. Yeah. So on the confidence monitor, I had notes in the PowerPoint and, uh, I kind of knew where I wanted to go with those. But it, uh, for the listeners, it's like, you know, I was trying to use the example of getting attention online and in fishing, you have different lures for different fish. So your creative, your thumbnails, your title, your things should be thoughtfully uh, intentional and different lures attract different fish. But really, I absolutely have zero. I don't even have enough. If I had more time, I could have watched two hours of YouTube videos and actually absorbed. I have like zero fishing knowledge. And so I tried to tie it into a story. My, 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 which was true. My stepdad, Phil had taken me fishing a couple of times and yeah, yeah, I learned some stuff there. And so it was that arguably it was a strong analogy. It was just very underdeveloped. And eventually I hit a point in preparation for growth video live where that was not my main battle to fight. And once I found myself in stage, it was part of my deck, but like I had zero rehearsal and I, I kind of like lost my place and felt like I was floundering, floundering and absolutely sinking. And so I was like, ah, oh, whatever you get the point. <laughs> so, so I'm glad it went over well, but literally, and, and I'm, I'm a pretty smooth speaker and, and normally, you know, like there may be zero, like kind of a zero blunder, uh, at least maybe I know about the blunder, but like that was one I literally just like dead end. And I was like, okay, you know what? Forget it. Uh, whatever. It kind of move on and and definitely right. was disrupted from my cadence. And so because you were you were dropping jokes and and doing your thing that my friend Mo and I were I'm like, no, I think Sean lost his place, but he just owned it and and it's very lovable that you did. And then Mo turns to me, no, that was scripted. He did it on purpose just <laughs> to win the audience over. But either way, that's I'm glad it impact, out. whatever. It worked. It really the worked. The Gary thing. I, I did. It was, it was just, it was kind of a weird vibe. I mean, all I needed to do was the question I asked him, but what was also funny was that's the way my mind works. Yeah. I am asking a question also out of curiosity. I'm asking questions based on the audience questions based on what I think will also be good on social media later or whatever. I'm thinking about questions that are relevant and I'm, and because of my, I, it's the desire to close the loop. So it's funny, as you said, you're right. There was times where I'd ask a question and then he would just rant and not let me ask it again. And there was like six deviations he would do. And I would just keep coming right. back, right? Or whatever. It's because I didn't, know where, I didn't know where else to go. I was like, okay, yeah, but the question is still, but Gary, <laughs> like <laughs> the loop is not closed. So I, I am going to persistently fight and to close the loop. He didn't that, answer your question. That was the problem. And actually, yeah, he never answered it. So I was like, oh, all right. He didn't answer it. That's so funny. And so, yeah, no, I mean, I love it. I love hearing your observation. Uh uh, from viewing it from that vantage point, that was, it wasn't, 
very interesting interview. And I think what I learned there though, was just letting the margin happen and letting things kind of breathe and ultimately letting Gary be Gary. The one, one of the big frustrating points there was me giving the ground rules for the Q and A and wanting to get to as much Q and A as possible. And as you might remember, I was like, okay, like don't pitch your thing. Don't tell your life story, pre-write your question, be very concise. And then that guy gets up there it's like seven minutes. It's literally like life story. It's literally an unclear. And then like, not even a question. Cause some people just want, once they get to the mic, they're like, I want to tell Gary my story. All that to say, I mean, I'm in my own mind too. Mainly I'm just sad for other people. I go, all I know is this is eating up time. I go on. And, and because I had given up expectation, it wasn't that I was, I was like, whatever. I mean, what are you going to do? And then I'm deeply trying to weigh do I interrupt him? Is it my place? Now, I was trying to be a good leader of the whole conversation by giving ground rules. He's breaking them. I'm sure the audience has empathy for that. I, I avoid confrontation. I like being diplomatic. I don't want to be passive though. And be, so I, you know, at that point, Gary's kind of, so, I mean, you want to talk about just, yeah, these are just the onstage juggling acts and the amount of things going on in my mind of like just constant moments where I feel like it's this, the ship is sinking. This is the Titanic. I'm lost on this illustration. Uh, we're going down. Uh, is there hope? Is there any recovery? You know, and trying to just like <laughs> smile and push through, but like in your mind, the building's on fire. We, like, uh, you know, there's, is there, wow. I just, and, and, and man, it's an emotional roller coaster up there sometimes. Yeah. You know, the thing about Q&A is it's tricky because people do not listen to the rules and it was broken from from the jump, the first guy goes up, does a testimony, just doesn't even ask a question. And then it sets the tone. So the next person's like, fine, they got away with it. I'm going to get away with it. And it's it's tough because you don't want to be rude and you're trying to be respectful and you feel the heat from the audience like, oh, you know what's going on? And you do what you got to do. I personally, because I'm more confrontational, I'm like, stop, stop. What's your question? Let's go. You know, nope, you're yeah. selling, stop. We're I done. should have had you up Next there person. because, yeah, I just I let that guy go you. on and on. I'm the yeah. executioner. <laughs> yeah. The way that you would ask the question, Gary would do his thing. You, But Gary, he'd do his thing. and he'd, But Gary, and we were just all watching this, feeling your pain. Like, what do you do with a person who has his own mind, and but you're still trying to get it back on the tracks, if you will? But the train left a long time ago. It left a long time ago. Yeah, you're so good at like, um, let me try this one more time. You just didn't give up. And, and it's very admirable. And it's, it's very, I don't, this is kind of a weird term, but it's kind of very uh, endearing. It really is like, look at Sean. He's just, he's going to just keep trying. And then eventually <laughs> okay, time is up. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, my mentality was also from my experience, uh, on stages and events and speaking elsewhere is also like, is to keep your cool. Yeah. Keep smiling. And, and just keep, and, and keep pushing through because what I have seen is on the other side, I've seen speakers lose it. Like just like their slides aren't working. And I've been in these situations like AV teams, letting them down or something on their own. They, they you messed your own deck up and you lose it in the middle and just also remembering, or also, you know, uh, resting, um, you know, be face what do you look like when you're not asking the question? I mean, I, I really take, or when you're not talking, 
even what is your expression on panels? A lot of times people, especially I know in your industry as well, like they might go to like an industry event yeah. uh, and they're typically not panel people. They have no clue. So it's like when they're not being asked a question, they're just like looking off, you know, because why would they know? And it's not something, right. but on the opposite side of it. And so all that to say was uh, part of that was like me and my mind being like, you know what? Like, here's my job. Keep it cool. <laughs> like, don't what I'm necessarily thinking, don't show it on my face because it's not gonna be helpful. If I look annoyed or if I get mad or if I look frustrated or if I lose my cool or if I just, and, uh, and so that was at least the, the vantage point. And that I was trying to get in that Zen place, like that generally realizing that, especially at the event, once we had so much team around me and people we'd hired and so on and so forth, my number one job as the leader of really the whole thing is actually just to protect my heart, like above all else, to guard my heart, guard my mindset, and just stay in an emotionally empowered, spiritually strong place, even when it's just the train is off the rails, right? And 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 I think great leadership is to keep your calm, is to is to and so anyways, that and and I've watched people like lose it or they lose it because he never knew what to expect from the other person because there's so many curveballs. Right. You get into a territory of like, okay, where even are we? I have no idea where we are, and and then just trying to navigate back. All right, let's keep it going. Uh, let's stay on track here, smiling and and like and not let's stay on track here from a frustrated, like, oh man, you know? So anyways, that was, that was, that's kind of where I was coming from. It was good. Okay. Let's reflect back on this. I would like to ask you this question of all the different things that you did to drive ticket sales and to try to sell out the event. What was the number one biggest driver in your, in your opinion, or based on the data? Hmm. Well, there's a couple of things we did. I think very strategic one, we, uh, I don't know which one was the biggest. I, I should mathematically as as the leader, but I think there was a there's just like five strategic moves maybe. The first one was pre-sell uh, the year before at a really low ticket rate, and I think we did 250 ticket sales. Now this also speaks to maybe how how many people show up because I've heard if you sell under 497, uh, and even at that price point, people go, yeah, I mean it's not even worth it to get on the plane now. Life has changed, my kids or whatever, so. Uh, but we, nevertheless, you know, we sold those and, and we also had VIP and those, these are like $200 tickets a year ahead of time. And then VIP meant you got lunches and we sold like 75 of those, which was created that initial momentum. The second thing we did was challenges as a separate note, we did challenges that had three ticket levels. Normally we do a challenge. We sell our online YouTube course. Um, and what we did was you could get our YouTube course and a virtual ticket at no extra charge for like a thousand. You could get our, but the three three offer levels during these two challenges we did, six months out and three months out, at a $1,500 level, you could get a GA ticket and at a 2K level, you get the course, some other bonuses, and you also get a VIP ticket. I would argue those were the biggest move. You want the juicy marketing nugget. I knew that most people burn up way too much money marketing events. They're panicked ad spends going through the roof. It's what pushes it not into profitability. So instead of wanting to do the majority of our ad spend on marketing the event, we did the majority of our ad spend on challenges, which we already knew worked and tied the event to the challenges. Another way to put it would be when we do our challenges, we have spent 
50, 100, 150, 200K on ads, maybe more than that, maybe a quarter mil. Um, and we already knew we could do them profitably. So then my thought was, I would rather do that, also have, also have the email list build, also have the digital course, which we can scale profitably and also promote the event. So if there was one thing, it was the two challenges where you could call it, it's all gravy too. Does that make sense? Like, so we spent maybe on the second one, we spent like a hundred grand, but like, I wouldn't even count that towards the ad spend budget of the event because the challenge in and of itself was profitable with the offer. Yes, of course we had fulfillment. And I'm not even sure how we did the math. Like we did not count calculate that ad spend because it was unnecessary to calculate that ad spend in that. I mean, those ticket sales, I'm kind of murking it up or, you know, messy middle of all that. And then you finally get into the last push. Organic could be a big one. I mean, thick media, people who know us, the videos on thick media, there was definitely some strategic creative, our podcast listeners. So we hit all the organic chat, our email list, educating. And, and, you know, one guy uh, who is worth studying, I don't even know where you could get this content, but Dan Kennedy is a legendary direct response marketer. Um, and there, he does have some teachings out on selling out events. And his first thing is events, selling out an event or getting butts and seats, as he would say, is a hundred times harder than you think it is. Take whatever marketing efforts you think you should do and literally a hundred X them. We were not passive about this integration and in podcast, organic YouTube content, multiple organic, you know, uh, reels, TikToks, like, and I also think overcoming the idea of, are people going to be upset if we talk about it too much, if we post about it too much and letting that mindset go. If this is, if that offends you, then great. This is the time that this is where we part paths because this is a no fail thing. We got to push for this and we need to do a hundred times more activities than we think we need to do. And then the final push would be like the actual ad spend on ticket sales, which was like maybe 50 grand, which would be, it was low. So like the ad spend to the challenges was even more, but was done profitably. So I think that would be a huge for any listeners where it's relevant. That's a big unlock was market something that in and of itself is effective and have your event on the back end rather than try to go like cold traffic ads just to the event. Um, I think it could be too hard. Of course, it depends on so many factors of how good your creative is, how good your event is, how good your speakers are, how good your uh, ad buyer is, how good a lot of things, how good follow-up or retargeting, so many distinctions. Um, but that's, those are things. So, uh, another way to put it is like, literally we did it all. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, you know, plant your seed in the morning and water in the evening. Cause you don't know which thing will actually produce like the result. And that's kind of what we said. We're like, what are effective marketing channels or things we could do? Let's do them all at as best level as we can 10 times to hundred times more than we think we should do them. And then mind you, Chris, this is crazy, right? At most, we had 800 people in the room. The 1,200 tickets sold, the amount of reach that, and by the way, virtual is 1,000 people about concurrent, you know, kind of like seven, eight. So there's the whole virtual side, and that's amazing too. There's recordings and all kinds of things, but like it, like the, the level, Gary V, Alex, and Pat, like Vegas, like communication is like, it's just, and by the way, you're in a pandemic world. It, flights are up. Life is happening. Do I actually really want to get on a plane? Am I even going to show up in every session? I'm just going to go to the pool and just go to Gary's session. The level of like 
difficulty in, as Dan Kennedy would put it, getting butts in seats is absolute insanity. So it's not for the timid. If you want to, on the back end, say like room is full though, you know, event is fire. Things are amazing. Yeah. And here's what it took, uh, you know, to ultimately reach that level. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned challenged. Can you tell me one of the challenges that you ran just so I can understand what you did? Cause that seemed to be a, an integral part of how this became a success for you. So we do like the tube 1k challenge, how to get your first a thousand subscribers and earn your first $1,000 with YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, five days, five days of free content. Um, and, uh, in a Facebook group, or you could do it, uh, you know, mighty networks or discord or anything you want to do, but, um, it's challenges were made popular back when to be like a fitness challenge, like a seven day boot camp to lose 20 pounds. But it's, it's one of the best marketing methods for almost any business. And people do three-day challenges, five-day challenges. And it's, that's, that's another podcast episode in itself too. We found them to be very powerful. It's the focused intensity. It's the level of free content. It's the actually a challenge, like we're going to give you daily homework and all that kind of stuff. And we had done them. Fortunately, this might've been challenge eight or nine for us or 10 for us. So the confidence, that was my marketing strategy was like, the challenge works, let's get more virtual tickets at the exact same price point of what we've done in the challenge in the past. And then let's add these other two ticket levels. And so that then is just a push forward to say, and then by the way, so here's the cool thing. You can watch online from anywhere in the world at what it already has been. And we already knew, so we knew how to do, we already had the content on the challenge, which we always try to improve and make better, but we already had the ads sequences down and the branding. So we've repeatedly done, we've done the tube 1k challenge, the YouTube influence challenge, the, uh, I think it was called tube influence challenge. We've done a, and they, they've been similar. We've done a seven day, we've done a five day. We just keep kind of, we do maybe three a year. And, um, and so that was also once we had like our, one big thing that our business was mapping to not at the expense of everything else. It was just like orienting our energy towards while simultaneously, but all being towards grow a video live. So grow a video live became the countdown. So it was this chance of like, if we do this, let's also tell people about grow a video live. If we have a challenge, let's also, you know, tie this in, in some way, if people meet us somewhere else, you know, buy the book or, you know, join somewhere else, like let's, Let's just hit it from different things. And so it was the intentional weaving in of Grow With Video Live being a part of that. And so that's that's what a challenge, um, that's how we did it. Very good. Super clear. What's one thing you would do differently? <laughs> um, it was probably a hundred things as far as like, I mean, I made decisions as fast as I could. If it was one thing, I would have uh, made decisions even faster and not, the, the two things... I should have done that are everything's on me, but that were just really on me for the sanity of my team. One could have been, meant I hustled harder. So the even better thing would have been to reduce things on our calendar. So the biggest mistake I made was whenever you say yes to something, it is a no to something else, right? And actually, whenever you say no to something, you're saying yes, because to having more free time because you just said no to this. I could have really discerned how heavy this was going to be and given us more margin 
rather than just allowing us to basically keep our day-to-day the same at Think Media while also trying to run a million-dollar event, which is insane in and of itself. That's its own business, by the way. If all a business did, as a, a seven-figure business with a, with a 30% profitability, like if all a business did was like, you know, spend a million and come out at 1.3 after you pay all the staff and everybody else, then that's an incredible annual seven-figure business. We ran, we did that and the 48 other things that we do in Think Media. So for myself and the team, if I would have said, allowed us to say no to a couple projects to create a more margin, which kind of affects the second mistake, which would have allowed me to make key decisions sooner. Like if we would have got Jesse's team on sooner, there would have been more peace about it, like the event planner sooner. Mm-hmm. So in the, I w- in the first three to six months, by allowing, by being like, oh, grow a video lives a year out and not neglecting it in that regard, but realizing there are just some strategic decisions. If I give myself less or the team less, said less to one or two projects so that some clear thinking and some just hustling through to make some key decisions earlier, um, it would have saved so much that the downstream consequences would have just meant more peace of mind, uh, more health. Um, and not only do I have to own that, but that that's a big lesson of, of the pressure of leadership is trying to think through of the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth order consequences of making a decision or delaying a decision, um, and who that's going to affect six months or nine months later. And not that I need to justify or, or give myself grace in it, but this is why I hope that this episode has also been valuable is this is what's been like the greatest leadership year, year of my life. Cause the grace that I would have for myself is just like, yeah. And I, what do I know? Like, how do I, what do I know about running a million dollar event? What does our team know? And so the list of lessons, um, this is why it's so hard to not do it over the next two years is because I literally feel like we're built for battle now. Like we just know so many things we do different. And I do believe, uh, again, we will still do events and it'll look different. And maybe we'll come back with a major bang in 2025 and who knows, 10,000 people, Mandalay Bay, you know, arena, T-Mobile arena, Las Vegas, like who knows. Um, but uh, is is you sometimes like, that, that, that'd be my encouragement for the team. Oh, we could have done this better. I'd be like, are you kidding? Yes, it was a growth video life five, but this was literally the first time we ever attempted something like this. So the fact that it came out the way it did how much more if we were to do it a second or third time? All the artists and designers listening to this know that their first attempt or that, you know, your first time trying something, it was nowhere near you becoming the master craftsman of a little while later. And so um, anyways, definitely thinking through making hard decisions, creating the margin to make the right decisions earlier and not delaying because the downstream effects are, are heavily affected by important decisions. It sounds to me like if I were to sum up the two lessons that you just shared with us, I could probably say it in one, one word, which is focus. Mm. Doing too many things, you focus in, you would have caught whatever decisions needed to be made, but you you had too many different things to do. And it is a Herculean effort to try and produce an event of the scale in which you did. Which takes me to my final observation, reflection on all this and a little backstory that you may or may not know about, which is I'm in Las Vegas like a month before. I'm at a MoGraph meetup and our mutual friend, Jace says, Hey, are you, are you going to Sean's thing? I'm like, I don't even know what Sean's thing is. Tell me about this. 
And he told me about this million dollar gamble that you're going to make. And I'm like, why would he do that? You're not going to be financially whole. This is the craziest thing ever. And I wonder what the media play is going to be like. Okay, I understand the brand play. I get it. I understand. And so you you and I were alike, but different in, in several different ways. We're similar in terms of our YouTube channel, in terms of our subscriber, a uh, similar amount of time building our content online. I started in 2014, kind of just as a hobby. I think you were 2015. And seeing your growth and all this stuff, this would be an interesting case study to study how two entrepreneurs work. You saying, make bigger bets. You got to go for it and, and scared money, don't make money. And me just like tried and true, like just steady as, as she goes. I'm super curious what happens in a year, two years from now. We look back on this moment where you made these huge gambles, had this greatest year of leadership growth and how that transforms you. We didn't, we didn't even get into those bits because we're just so focused on the event itself. You have changed as a person because of the event. So forget about the money or the profitability if you built a second business or not. I'm, I'm just super psyched to plant that seed here today to kind of just mark it in time that a year, two years from now, we'll look back in this moment like, oh, Sean made some big moves. He's balling now. And here we are. We, we didn't make those moves and we, we took a different strategy. So I'm, I'm just super excited. I'm happy for you. You're a man of faith. You're a family person. You've overcome adversity. And you're a person who, as you described, like college dropout, and you did your thing. And, and here you are kind of in your groove, in your moment, doing the work that's important, that's meaningful, that's impactful to you. And it's evidenced by the community, which is coalesced around you, because I've never seen a more enthusiastic, generous audience. They literally did a standing ovation for almost every speaker before they even walked up on stage. That is nuts to me. And so that observation by Jesse was spot on. I've never seen an audience like that. I've seen generous audience before, but not quite like that. They're 100% there. I think to support you and they wanted to see you do well. So congratulations to you, Sean. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your kind words and uh, man, it's been super fun talking about this and I appreciate the detail of your questions. And uh, this is kind of some geeky content, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been quite a journey and I look forward to continuing to connect and building together over the years. Likewise. Now, Sean, if people want to find out more about you, where do we direct them? How do they continue this conversation with you? Yeah, I mean, you said it, Sean Cannell rhymes with YouTube channel um, at Sean Cannell on Instagram. And uh, I think YouTube Secrets, if people are interested in YouTube, the second edition book just came out and um, it's uh, new, 80 new pages updated for a new decade. Um, and then, yeah, you can look us up. I think Think Media is the YouTube channel and Think Media podcast um, is a weekly podcast that we do on YouTube and audio. So, um, anywhere would absolutely love to serve, love to help. And we're on a mission, honestly, to double the creator economy and, uh, specifically through the vehicle of, of YouTube. And we're a team of creators now trying to help people with the best practices of starting channels, growing channels, growing your business with YouTube marketing. And so check us out, think media and Sean Cannell on social media. My community, when they heard about you coming on, I'm like, like, when is this episode? Just relax, everybody. This is coming out. So they're geeking out too. And I told them, I'm going to ask you all these questions that oftentimes I don't get an opportunity to ask, but also because the person doesn't want to tell me the answers. And this is one of these perfect moments. Your 
very transparent. I am too. You're very open about everything, uh, strengths and weaknesses. You're super humble and grounded. And I love that. I appreciate you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. My name is Sean Cannell, and you are listening to The Future. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash Chris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.